he made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went out and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Riri, why don't you come and join me up here? Uh, we have a special uh, moment here. We weren't able to pray for Riri, uh, one of the members of our newest members of our church. Come on up. Um, yeah, climb the mountain. Come on up here. Um, take a look at that view, right? Um, Riri is leaving town, and so we didn't get to pray for her as she was departing. Uh, we didn't get to pray for her last week as we prayed for the other members who are also leaving and so wanted to do so now. Do you want to tell folks a little bit of what is taking you on a new journey? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm going to be starting at Yale Business School um, in a um, few weeks. And I just made the decision to go on Thursday, so I'm like still trying to process everything. Uh, <laughs> but I started feeling sad because I realized I was leaving. Um, even though I've had like several goodbye parties before that. But um, I hope that I learned something about business and that I come back here and I'm able to um, be a better like job candidate and make the public sector better. Well, we believe that God is with this sister uh, wherever she is uh, because of his promise. And uh, he's with her in last minute decisions as well as uh, long range planned ones. Um, so let's pray for her as she goes from this place. Jesus, thank you for blessing us with the presence of this sister, uh, Riri, that she has blessed us in so many ways as a friend, as a neighborhood group leader, as a servant in the community, as a thoughtful person, uh, as uh, a person uh, that has served well. And uh, we thank you so much that we could grow together in faith, in honesty, um, and uh, in pursuit of you. We pray that you would go with her now. Please bless her as she continues her studies, as she starts a new program, as she starts in a new town, a new school. Uh, pray that you would bless her with new friends. Uh, pray that you would protect her emotionally, physically, in every way. We pray that you would provide for all of her needs as a student financially, um, as well as providing for her a spiritual home, uh, a new church. Please bless her with community very quickly, in fact. We pray that she'd be able to plant roots and get anchored uh, in a New Haven in a new way. So bless her, and thank you so much for our time with her. Uh, thank you for all the ways uh, that we are able to be together as long as we are together, and then to say goodbye, but not for long, because uh, in Jesus, there's always ultimate reunions, always. It's a promise, and so we give you praise, even as we say goodbye. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
going to miss you, sister. Bye-bye. Let's say goodbye together. All right. All right. A lot going on in the church today. Lots of announcements, but here we are. Uh, let's turn to God's word. We have a great uh, 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 special uh, moment here for you with Pastor Scott Bridges as our guest preacher who's joined uh, by his uh, wife, Julie, here. Scott is the senior pastor of Wallace Presbyterian Church just up the street in College Park, or actually Hyattsville, I guess, uh, right, right, right in, in this area, and Scott is the senior pastor there, uh, and for how long now? Eight years now, and before that, they were in Santa Barbara for a good number of years, right there on the beach. Don't be jealous, uh, but... Uh, they got California in their soul, I think, still, so that makes him a man after my own heart. Uh, but it's good to be able to have Scott bring uh, this passage from Matthew. Scott, more recently, was also a part of our denomination's movement towards uh, repenting of past racial sins and our growth in racial reconciliation as a body, in fact, helped to author and to move forward a uh, new proposal that was adopted, and that is uh, a proposal for a unity fund. Th these are funds that would be set aside uh, to help raise up uh, different leaders of color throughout our denomination in so a very practical way of seeking the diversity of our denomination and really reflecting something that's very near and dear and important to our heart here at Grace Meridian Hill, and that is uh, the vision of cross-cultural community that we find all throughout Scripture. And so, brother, we're so glad to be able to share this time with you and to benefit from your gifts. If you could come forward, we'd be happy to pray for you. Let's bow our heads and pray together. God, I pray your blessing upon Scott, that you would free him to speak from your word and speak from his heart. I pray that you would bless your word and make it come alive. Help us to hear what you would have us hear today. And so bless this time. Pour out your spirit upon us. We really do need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's welcome Scott together. Thanks, Thanks very much. And you can tell I'm going to be your friend taking my watch off so I can keep an eye on the time. So how, how's that? It's a delightful uh, opportunity to be here this morning. Uh, I want you to know from your sister church, Wallace, we've been faithful to pray for you all. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be happy to go back next week and, and give a good report. So uh, well done. Well, if you've got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn to Matthew 18. I, I think it's printed in the bulletin also, isn't it? Uh, feel free to look there as well. What I want to do is, is kind of go through this um, a couple of verses at a time to talk about it. But w w first, let me give a, a bit of a preface about why we're here in what's called, uh, you know, popularly the parable of the unmerciful servant. It's, it's for two reasons, basically. One is the importance of what's contained in this text. And then the second one is because of how very helpful, how very strategic uh, this text is because um, this teaches us and it's importance what forgiveness is and then in the helpfulness it teaches us how to forgive and we need both of these uh, importance and helpfulness for these reasons I want you to do a little bit of math with me just logical math what is the heart of Christianity I would submit to you that the heart of Christianity is the gospel well, okay, good. 
What's the heart of the gospel? It's reconciliation. It's God reconciling himself to former enemies and, and making them his own daughters and sons. So the heart of the heart of our faith is forgiveness, is reconciliation. Now that's the important part. And so if you're here checking out what Christianity is today, we're going to get to the bare bones of it. And you just found out why. This is the heart of the heart of what we mean when we say we're Christians. Now, okay, great. Helpfulness. You need to understand something, and I hope it comes as a relief. That Christianity is not an invitation to bury your head in the sand and pretend like everything's okay. Denial works really well for a while. But then the hard realities hit. And what Christianity does, and Jesus does here in spades, is tells us this. We need the helpful part because forgiveness is only the hardest thing to do. And everybody stinks at it. Now, I'm not going to let you off the hook because Jesus certainly doesn't with this parable. But I want you to think about it this way. The Lord God Almighty wanted to create the universe. And what did he do? He simply spoke it into being. Let there be. The Lord God Almighty wanted to take us, his enemies, and make us his children. And what did he have to do? But the, as Francis Schaeffer used to say, the infinite eternal God stepped into space and time. He underwent all the miseries of this life in a very humble position. And then he went to hell on a cross and underwent the power of death for a time. And now lives as a priest ministering on our behalf. Now, what do you think is harder, creating the universe Forgiving the likes of you and me. And if Jesus had to go to those kinds of efforts, if it was that tough for him, we need the help he's got here. But I need to warn you about something before we go through the text. And it's this. Jesus is not a safe person. And that shows up in his parables probably more than anywhere else. The word parable comes from the Greek word parabole, which means literally to, to throw alongside. You get the bole part and the para part. That, that sounds fine. Well, you know, Jesus throws these spiritual hand grenades alongside your life, and it rolls up, and you say, oh, that's interesting. And then it goes off, and everything changes. And, and, and the surprises abound in this text. So prepare yourself, and let's dive in. Now, Jesus has been talking about this 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 rhythm in Matthew 18 about God reconciling himself to us, going out and finding the lost sheep. And therefore, the lost sheep who's been found has experienced reconciliation, has experienced it, needs to extend it to other people, the brother who sins against us. And so in that spirit, Peter asked the questions, how many or the question, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me up to seven times? Now, we don't really know, because it doesn't say here in the text, why Peter chose the number seven. I've got a couple of guesses, though, and they seem reasonable. Peter is very much a man of his time and his culture, and Jews, particularly back in this day, were very much into numerology, the, the symbolic importance of numbers, and the number seven was the number of perfection. So it could be that Peter was saying, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me the perfect number of times? And like, you're going to tell me what that is? Or, and I wonder if this isn't more likely, 
given Peter's personality. Back in 586 BC, the Jews were dragged off in exile to Babylon. And it's there that we begin to see synagogue worship and rabbis developing. And the rabbis began to write down commentaries on the Hebrew scriptures. It's called the Talmud. And, and two of the most famous rabbis that wrote uh, uh, a commentary on the Torah, on the law, said that the Torah requires you to forgive somebody three times. And after that, you're basically living in a dysfunctional relationship. They didn't say it that way, but that's kind of what they meant. So, you know, hey, this sounds kind of like Peter. Lord, how many times shall I forgive somebody who sins against me? More than twice what the rabbis require? Regardless of what he does, Jesus, again, parabole, the hand grenade. He throws the holy hand grenade and says, no, 70 times 7. And then he really shows how powerful this is because he goes and he talks about a great-hearted king. Let's just call him the great-hearted king who has a time when he's getting his books taken care of. Now, when we read what happens next, it's very common to misinterpret the definition of, of forgiveness that you get. Because, okay, a guy is brought before him, owes him 10,000 talents, and the great-hearted king kind of like gins up all his goodwill and says, okay, I, I forgive you. And it's kind of a big one-time cathartic act. Wrong. we got to back up and do some homework to understand how forgiveness is defined here in the Bible. And it's going to make a lot of sense to what you experience and your struggles to forgive. Okay, first, the amount. 10,000 talents. Now, we've got to understand, this is, a, this is an affair of state. This is a court. This is a, a state matter. You know, the, uh, you know the, the clerk of the exchequer and all of his accountants are here. And the king's cabinet and advisors over here. And so this is an official bit of business, which means that they are going on the, the economic standard of the day. And the entire ancient world ran on the gold standard. So this is... 10,000 talents of gold. Mm, pretty impressive. Even more impressive. Gold was a standard of weight of about 75 pounds. So now we're talking about 75,000 pounds of gold. You know, you look in the post, you look in the paper, and, you know, gold kind of fluctuates between $1,200 and $1,500 an ounce. So you do the math. Let's say $1,500 times 18 ounces to the pound times 75,000 pounds. I don't even bother doing the math. When my 20-year-old was about four, I asked him, Jack, you know, we were, we were going through this. I said, what's the biggest number that you can make up? And he thought for a minute, and he said, 11 gajillion. And that's really kind of Jesus' point, isn't it? An absolutely, ridiculously astronomical amount that nobody, not even Bill Gates, can pay off. And that's the point. Now, um, again, it says the great-hearted king forgave him the debt, released him and forgave him the debt. But again, what we need to understand is what that meant. Now, uh, I'm... I'm a church planner as well. We planted the church in Santa Barbara from scratch. And I, I knew that if I didn't get um, a very organized, uptight administrator, I would wind up in prison. 
And so I got Darlene, and she is, oh, she's anal. She's wonderful. She's a dear friend. We still keep in touch. But I got to tell you, if I, if I had had us take a hit on the books of this kind of proportion to a church plant, she would have had a stroke on her way to strangling me with her bare hands. 75,000 pounds of gold, he had writ off his books, written off. And that means, I don't, I don't care if you are Bill Gates, every financial decision you have for some time is going to have to be made, at least in light, partial light, of that one decision. And what we begin to understand then is that forgiveness is not a one-time cathartic act. Now, I encourage cathartic acts, not nonviolent, of course, in the forgiving kind, not the vengeance kind. Because, you know, there's no such thing as justice here. When you say, I just want him to pay until I feel good about it. That's, that's, our, that's real vengeance. That's not justice. So what it means is that you set your face, as Isaiah said, like a flint. To pay down that debt every single time it rears its head. And when I began to understand, just some testimony here. I'm Scottish on both sides of my family. We're good at getting mad and staying mad. And when I began to understand what this meant, it was such a relief because like many of you, most of you, I've had the one-time cathartic act of goodwill because Christians are supposed to forgive others. It's a part of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and I, I really meant it. And then like a week later, maybe a day later, maybe a month or a year later, somehow buttons get pushed in me and I'm mad all over again. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, didn't I forgive that guy? Well, I started down the road to forgiveness. But forgiveness is a process. It's not a one-time act. I want you to think about that. And this is where the difficulty comes in because you have to continue to find something that gives you what you need so that you can keep forgiving as often as you need to. And it's like this. Again, forgiveness is the hardest thing to do. And part of why it's so hard and part of, part of why we all stink at it is that it takes more effort than we normally have in and of ourselves. And it takes longer than we think it should take. Got out of college. Bought my first car. This is in the day before the internet. Yes, the gray in my beard is honest. No electronic payments. And so GMAC financing was good enough to give me a book, a payment coupons to stick in with my check in the mail. It's, it's a thing the Postal Service still does here uh, from time to time. And, I, and, and so every month I would, I would pull it out and I would take the coupon and stick it in there. I, I, okay, it was only 24 months. But I swear, every time I opened up my desk drawer to pull the coupon out, I, it had had babies. <laughs> it never shrank. And it took so much longer than I thought. A whole new definition for what 24 months means. Because it's 24 months of pain. And forgiveness, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said one time, forgiveness is suffering. And I would only add to that, as long as it takes. 
Okay, so how do you know that that goes on? You know, how do you know when you're done, when you've really forgiven? Well, that's an interesting question. But I go back to the great-hearted king. There was a time, you know, his GDP went down. There was a time when he was going to have to make decisions in light of this great-hearted decision. It was going to have consequences for some time down the road. But eventually he was going to turn the corner and that loan, that forgiveness of that debt would no longer affect his bottom line anymore. In other words, he's free. And you know you've forgiven, I would say practically speaking, when you can look at the offense and say, okay, yeah, you did that, but it doesn't own me anymore. In Genesis 50, Joseph, a great-hearted prime minister, uh, is faced with a new kind of uh, challenge. His, his brothers, the, the, the father has died, uh, Israel has died, excuse me. <coughs> and his brothers are thinking, okay, what, what if Joseph has just been holding back revenge out of respect for dad? And now he, nothing is in his way. And they beg for his forgiveness all over again. And Joseph doesn't get mad, he weeps. And he wipes his eyes and he said, do not be afraid. Yeah, you, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. The saving of many lives. What is now being accomplished. And then he comforted his, little, his brothers. And took them in. You see, he could look at the offense. Because forgive and forget. Show me where that is in the Bible. You know, God Almighty in Psalm 103. You know, takes our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's because he's God Almighty. You know, one of the great celebrations, again, a picture of heaven, is that we will be casting the crowns before Jesus, the crowns of grace. We'll be taking what he won for us and casting them down. And there will be a celebration of the greatness of his forgiveness of all of our sins. And so there is a forgiveness and there's not. And, and the whole thing is, or I mean there's a remembering and there's not. But the whole thing about it is, if forgiveness is there, you can remember and it doesn't own you anymore. And sometimes even when you've forgiven somebody who's really hurt you, and you really have forgiven them to the point that that, that doesn't own you anymore emotionally, you know that because it gives you clarity to look at that person and go, you know, I, I see this pattern of him doing this in his life, and out of love for my brother, sincerely, because who does this? I'm going to go to him, and I'm going to call him on it, instead of faking being nice, or do what Christians do, you know, we know it's not good to break somebody's nose, um, you know, when we're mad, so we, we do the Christian thing, and we freeze them in the cold, dark vacuum of space, you know, distance, and that's not what happens here, the great-hearted king forgives and sets his face to make those decisions. And we know that because of what happens. But now we have the definition of what forgiveness is. It's paying down the debt until it's paid. You pick up the tab. Okay, how do you do that? Now forgiveness is even harder than you thought it was. And you thought I was going to show you how. Well, I'm going to now. Let's go on and read what happens next after that. You know what happens? This servant goes out. 
king has to deal with the uproar of his leaders and uh, the insanity of his decision to be gracious. But the other servant, he goes out to somebody who owes him 100 denarii. Now, a denarius, again, uh, it's, we need to get into measurements so we understand what this means. A denarius was what a Roman soldier got for one day's service in the legions. It's what a day laborer got for a, a day's work. In other words, it was eight hours of, of minimum wage. So you do the math, 100 denarii, more than three months of, of flipping burgers at McDonald's, you get somewhere around 6500 bucks, $7,000. Now, Jesus' genius shows up here again because it's not the guy owed him like 100 pennies. I don't know about you, but 11 to gajillion doesn't mean much to me. 6500 bucks, I understand. I'm a pastor. That hurts. And I understand the real offense of that. I, I have a brother-in-law, and, and uh, unfortunately, his, his marriage was ending. His wife had been unfaithful. He was just starting out in his career. He had no money, and he needed an attorney, and we lent him $5,000. And I, I won't tell you how much of that we've never seen, but I will just say this as an aside. Uh, with relatives, either give the money or d don't give it, but don't loan it. It just is messy. So I get this. This hurts. That's a debt. I understand that. In other words, Jesus is not negating the reality of the offenses that we suffer from time to time at the hands of unworthy people. People who have let us down. People that still love us. But now here's yet another way we've been let down. So it's a real offense. It's a pain we get. And what does the wicked servant do? Begins to choke him and say, pay what you owe. And he says, and it's interesting in the Greek text, text, he says word for word what the servant said, the unmerciful servant said to the great hearted king. But a very different response, isn't there? You see, there was no bankruptcy court back in that day. There was no social safety net. Uh, th there was nothing like that. And there was a legal right to... Uh, to throw somebody and liquidate not just him, but his family and his estate. I mean, even in Charles Dickens' days, uh, debtors' prisons show up in a couple of his novels. So this isn't something that just is, you know, from the ancient evil world. You know, it, it still went on. Okay, fine. So what's going on here? Well, the offense comes out, and it's so offensive that the other servants... And it's really none of their business. See how outrageous this is. They go and tell the great-hearted king what goes on. Now, we know what forgiveness is. The great-hearted king shows us. Now, here is the lesson the great-hearted king gives us. What does he say to the wicked servant? You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt. And you could have none on your fellow servant. And this is where we get what we need to forgive. We need to be in touch with the 10,000 talents of grace, of forgiveness. That's what grace is, undeserved forgiveness. We need to be in touch with the 10,000 talents that our great-hearted King Jesus won for us on the cross. 
and to see that we have that much in our own bank. And, and there's a direct proportionality equation here. To the extent that you are in touch and understanding and experiencing the greatness of what it is that has been won for you, that you've been forgiven and then you've been rewarded with, to that extent, in direct proportion, you are enabled to forgive somebody beyond your own good-hearted nature. And for you people who aren't Christians yet, some of you, no doubt, are very forgiving people. And then some of you Christians that are sitting here today, no doubt, are like me. You can just be as vindictive as the devil. And that's your default mode. I'd, I'd say to the forgiving non-Christian, you, you need to understand your ability to do that is a gift from him. It's called common grace. Causes this rain, which is a blessing in the ancient Middle East, to fall on the just and the unjust. But for all of us, what we need to do, and non-Christians, listen, you need this. You need to be in touch with what's being offered to you in the gospel. Because our great-hearted king gave us his very own self. Our great-hearted king, the beloved son, said only one time, God, when he was addressing his father, always, every other time, father. And it was from the cross. Because he was known by his father only as an object of wrath that we deserve. I want you to be in touch with that. You know, in Romans 5, 1 through 5, there's, there's one aspect to it. It's, it's called our justification. But so much comes along with our justification. We tend to think of justification as, you know, the, the judge letting you off the hook and now get out of my courtyard, courtroom and I don't want to see you in here again or else. This is what it says. Therefore, sorry, I'm getting to that age where I have to play trombone here. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We have an undeniable source of hope, of endurance. We, we have God's love lavished on us. He gives us a spirit. And so when Jesus didn't just go to hell on a cross, but he gave us his very own self, he not only gave us justification and its rewards, what he gave us, you know, I'm just going to lose this. It's warm. Um, what he gave us was another thing, too. So many Christians think, that what Jesus did on the cross was to win us what I just read in Romans 5. You're off the hook. Now go be good. No, 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 no. John said it really well in 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And because he couldn't get over it, he has to repeat himself. And, and, and that is what we are. You are a daughter. You are a son of the great-hearted king. 
that's what has been won for you. You're a child of royalty. The great hearted king and his servants were rightfully enraged at this one who could receive such mercy and show none of it to somebody just like him. Actually, better than him. He only owed 100 denarii, not 11 gajillion dollars. That was it. And that, that is where we learn how to forgive. You experience that grace. You get in touch with the account that you have, 75,000 talents of grace. And then, and then what you do is you extend some of that as often as you need to because you can afford to pick up the tab. You know, uh, Jane Austen fans are going to love this, but have you ever wondered why uh, the women in Austen novels are always going off to take care of so-and-so kids who have the mumps or granny so-and-so, a liniment or something like that? Well, it, it comes from, you know, just vestiges of European feudalism. Um, and what I mean by that, the, the French had a phrase for it. It's called noblesse oblige, the obligation of the nobility. If, if you were nobility, that meant that you owned land. That was where all the wealth was, an agrarian economy. And you rented it out to call them peasants, serfs. What they really were, were your, they were your people. You were their social safety net. So a young man is plowing in your field, and he drops dead from a heart attack, and, uh, and he leaves behind four young children and a widow. You are the life insurance policy. Somebody grows old in your service, let's say a couple, and their bones creak with age and they can't go. You take care of them and you feed them. You're their retirement account. Because you have it in the bank. The obligation of the nobility, oh, daughter of God, oh, son of God, is to extend some of those talents of grace to those around you in the same way that you didn't deserve it, but they don't deserve it either. Let's just get that out of the way. But see, this is the hard part, all right? This is part of the other hard part. Now we know that forgiveness is a lot harder. It's like my payment book, okay? Pay it down as often as it takes. But now what we have to understand is that, that to get in touch with how much we've been forgiven, we have to be humbled. And that's always part of what happens in the gospel. It's humbling to admit that we were the miscreant who raked up 75,000 talents worth of grace that we need, and we need every bit of it. That's humbling. But isn't it kind of freeing to finally be honest about that? You know, in, in today's world, we have lots of different ways of describing that. You know, I'm just, I'm kind of held back by these things. And, you know, people are try harder, you know, the whole genre of, of, of uh, books has erupted basically in the last 150 years called self-help. It didn't exist before. Because somehow we've deluded ourselves as a culture that we can fix ourselves. And isn't it kind of honest to go, you know, I'm actually going to have to look outside myself for resources I, I don't have because as good-natured as I am, I can't forgive this one on my own. That's humbling. But then it's real. 
I want you to think about this parable. The next time you read the crucifixion account and think of the great-hearted king hanging from the cross and how much he put into three words, at least translated in English. It is finished. Paid in full, the great-hearted king says. And when you know that, the humbling part of the gospel turns sweet and turns into something healing. Warms your heart. And you come to yourself and you go, man, I got, I got 75,000 talents of grace in my account. I can take the hit. And literally, I, I don't, now hear me, I don't mean this in a profane way. I mean it in a literalistic way that when God's Holy Spirit brings me to myself and puts me back in touch with how much I needed forgiving, and I do on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis, what goes off in my head is, and who in the hell do you think you are, Scott Bridges? Because hell is what you deserve and a hot place in it. Now, you probably say it better, but I grew up in Oklahoma. That's, that's just us. So that, that's, what, that's what I do. And boom, it frees me up to forgive. It puts me in touch. I, that person's a sinner just like me. And as Dickens once said, we all are pilgrims on our way to the grave. And then I have to keep doing it. Now, I want to give testimony that one of the beautiful things about that when it happens is that Jesus becomes more and more precious to you. You know, he really does. It's, it's, it's this beautiful thing that grace actually works. Because, man, do we need it to work or what? Now, there's another side to this. Okay, this is awesome. It works. It's real. Now you know what forgiveness is. So no wonder it was harder than you thought it was. But now you know how to forgive. But there's a warning. And Jesus is not safe. When he, when he has the, the wicked servant turned over to the jailers, you need to understand that that word was also the word used for torturers. Romans, uh, they didn't put nice people in charge of their jails. Just ask Paul and Silas and Philippi when they were being tortured by the jailer. And so there was this torture. In other words, there's this stark choice. And, 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 and the stakes are too high to take Yogi Berra's advice. You know, when you, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Take the right one. Because the warning, and I want you to think about the moment when Jesus is done with the parable and he turns to his disciples and says, and so will my heavenly father do to each of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It is a stark choice. And just to back that up with reality, that grace is real and it works i got to say, bitterness is real. And it is torture. Some of you know people who've had something horrible happen to them. And they did not forgive. And day by day, 
moment by moment, bitterness dripped into their veins and consumed their souls until they were nothing but a bitterness. And Jesus is saying, look, you're made in God's image. That means you're a real moral creature. And yeah, so I'm right to hold you morally responsible for your actions. But I'm warning you on this one. It's poison. And it will consume your soul. It's being our friend. Honest to goodness. Like, like your best friends. You know, the older I've gotten, the more I realize my best friends are the ones who love me enough to get in my face. And then they don't go away. He's being your best friend here. Saying, I'm the great hearted king. I'm going to show you how much you need me. I'm going to show how it's real and it works. And then I'm going to say, don't go down that road. Don't. Death awaits. Stakes are high. But forgiveness is powerful. And you've seen that at work. You know, in Santa Barbara, like I said, we planted that church from scratch. And there was a young couple that started coming uh, to the church. Uh, they both came out of very fundamentalistic houses, homeschooling and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and the boy, I'm just going to call him John and Jane. John was a happy-go-lucky guy. Boy, Jane, I'm, okay, we had them over for dinner. And I'm about as discerning as a fence post. But I shut the door when they left, and I turned to my wife, and I said, that is the angriest young woman I've ever met in my life. Well, a year and a half or so later, John calls me. He's devastated. Jane has cheated on him, and she's pregnant by another man. And so I go to meet him, and he tears down his face says, tell me what to do. I said, well, John, you know, you have biblical grounds for divorce. You can do that. There's another option, but I have to warn you, it's going to be really, really hard. You can decide to go down the road to forgiveness. But that means this is going to come up a lot in your life. And then someday she's going to have his baby. And if you raise that baby like your own every day for the rest of your life, you will be faced with this need to extend forgiveness as often and as profoundly as needed. And you can't do that without extraordinary help from the Almighty. And he said, I want to. And he did. A year later, they're over at our house for dinner again. And I'm cooking out on the back porch. And uh, here comes Jane with the baby. Not John's. And her face is transfigured, stone hard and cold no more. I mean, just, just radiant, beautiful, smiling, warm, alive. And I, I just said, wow, <laughs> you know, even I noticed this. What happened? And she said, uh, you know, I grew up hearing what the gospel was, but John lived it before me. And so now I'm a Christian too. There is power in the gift of the great-hearted king. We need it. But let's thank him for it. Let's pray. Well, Father, 
boy, do we have need. And, you know, not, not just our own need, but we think about uh, the people sitting around us, some that, that they're, they're beginning to understand that this is the gospel for the very first time, and we pray, Father, that you will make it alive to them, and they'll know both the humbling and the healing of, of the grace of our great-hearted King Jesus. And then, Father, there are those of us who I just have a hard time with this more than others need extra grace. And we pray that it would bound. Some of us have been devastated and we will we will bear the scars. Of of the pain that others have caused us. For the rest of our days. And extraordinary amounts of of your grace are needed there as well. And then all of us can sit here and we can think of people that that we're not very happy with right now. Would, would you bring them to mind and by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you take this text and apply it to that situation that we might go into the school of forgiveness and get a passing grade? But we need your spirit to show us, to open our eyes to the greatness and the preciousness of our 75,000 talents and its daughters and sons of yours to practice noblesse oblige. We want to carry out the obligation of being your children as you've given us grace. Use us to extend it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story. My song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior. 
great submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story. Is my song praising my Savior all the day long? This is my story. This is my song praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Praising my Savior all the day long. Amen. Why don't you have a seat? God invites you uh, to do the impossible, doesn't he? I mean, this forgiveness thing, like Scott said, it's impossible. Uh, so God gives us more help. He gave us help with his word, but he gives us more help. He gives us the same story, the same message, now in food form, drink form. Uh, here's a table that gives to us more of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. The forgiveness of Christ when you just feel like you've run out of gas, when you feel like you are starving for grace, when you feel like you got no resources left on your own and you need something outside of yourself, here it is, here he is for you. Bring the full freight of your moral debt, all 10,000 talents that you are just starting to get in touch with. Bring them here and know that Jesus paid them in Let's say a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you for forgiving our sins. Thank you for unending, limitless mercy. Now, bless this table and reconvince our hearts all over again. Your passion to forgive. Repersuade us again that you really did die and rise again to make us your daughters and your sons that that promise is true and real, even more real than the bread in our hands and the juice and the wine on our lips. We pray that you would help us to believe what is so hard to believe. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Three stations for you to come and partake from, uh, two in the front, one in the back. You can come up on your own time. So you can pop it right away, get in line, 
especially if you really need the grace of God. Or you can sit and ponder and pray. If you need to reflect a little bit, that's cool. That's on you. Uh, but if you do come up, uh, take bread. We've got crackers for those with allergies, wine and juice. It's your choice. Just take the cup and make sure that you leave them in the big baskets before you leave the sanctuary. Uh, come forward. Guys, it's okay to limp your way to this table. If you have someone now, by God's grace, on your heart, your mind, you're like, I can't, I can't. That's all right. You can, I can't your way to the table. There's no better way to come to the table of the feast of God's mercy than to mutter, I can't. Because Jesus can, and he has, and he will take and eat and drink the mercy of Christ. And if you're someone that's still processing this stuff, if you're like, it sounds okay or good or great, but I haven't yet embraced Jesus. I am still processing stuff. It might not be the time for you to come, but you can really do business with your own soul, with your God. Uh, jot down notes, pray. I'll lead you in a prayer in a second as well. Uh, but maybe today is actually the day that you can receive the forgiveness of God. That's something worth pondering and even asking God to help you with in this moment. Whoever you are, whatever your story, everyone can engage with God and his grace today. Let's come forward and let's taste and see that the Lord is good and that he's full of mercy. Maybe you want to pray, but you don't really know what to say. I've got a prayer, both on the screen overhead, also on page 9 in the bulletin. It's called a prayer of belief because it reminds us what it means to believe. So if you're taking communion, you can use these words. But if you're also ready to start fresh with God, maybe receive God's forgiveness for the first time. Uh, maybe to name Jesus as the one you need for the forgiveness of all of your screw-ups. Well, this is a prayer for you. Why don't you listen? Dear God, you made me and you've cared for me even before I knew you, even when I was running from you. I admit I'm weak and sinful and powerless to save myself. But I also know that I'm loved and accepted by you because of your son. Jesus, thank you for taking the judgment that I deserve for my sin on the cross. You offer me forgiveness and new life, and I receive it. I receive you. I want to change with the help of the Holy Spirit. I want to live in love like Jesus. Lord, I don't understand everything at this point, but I understand enough to trust you and to love you because you first loved take a word or phrase and use that as a prayer of your own. If you're taking communion, go on ahead and get in line and we'll wrap up in just a few minutes.
parents, of course, you're welcome to grab your kids from their rooms if you haven't done so already. But if you haven't taken the elements, go ahead and do that right now. The bread and the wine juice, that's the body and the blood of Christ broken and shed for you. Take and eat and receive the grace of your Savior. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for lavish 